0: Hey, everybody. Before we get started with this podcast, just want to say a massive thank you to Tommy Dolman. Uh, We weren't able to record the full um, proper flagship podcast today. Obviously, our record time are on Monday nights and uh, Australia and the Matildas had a game um, and also Nigeria had a game, so there was no chance I was going to get anybody in. But luckily for both teams, we got the desired results, and the Tillies are through, and the Super Falcons are through, and goodness gracious me, the Super Falcons might have to play England, which will be interesting, because if they win that game, half of Peckham might have to be deported. Um, but yeah, so... We were not going to give you a podcast and know that you would be understanding of that, but Tommy Dolman, Mr. Football WA, decided to take one for the team and give you a wrap up of um, a couple of the games that we did not touch on with the Full Time Whistle podcast. And he also gave a wrap up of the the WNPL WA, the, the Women's NPL He's done an absolutely terrific job. So, a massive thank you to Tommy. Um, yeah, sit back, relax, and enjoy uh, Tommy's wrap up of the MPL and the women's MPL.
1: The Perth Football Podcast is proudly brought to you by Macron Store Perth, an industry leader in quality teamwear, specialising in grassroots, semi-pro, and professional team attire. Visit the Macron Sports Hub Perth Facebook page for more. Thank you to Macron for helping us keep the pod running and for their continuous involvement in community sport. Hi everyone, Tommy here with No Flagship Pod this week. Just wanted to provide a little insert into your podcast feed on your Tuesday morning just to give you a wrap of the weekend's MPLWA Women's Competition. First of all though, in terms of the men's action this week, you can go back and listen to the full-time whistle on the Perth Football Podcast Patreon page. Sean and Kalichi gave us a good overview of the Round 19 fixtures in the MPL men's given they were at the Coburn vs Kingsway and Glory vs Inglewood matches respectively. There's also some input from myself from Joondalup after I commentated on Red Star's win over Armadale while Josh has got you covered for Perth's win over Florent. So go and check that out. $6 a month on the Patreon. We give those games plenty of love and we've also got some reaction interviews from each of those games so you can hear what the people more important than us have to say on those respective fixtures. And of course, thank you to those out there who have already listened to the full-time whistle and are continuing to support the podcast through the Patreon. In terms of the other men's games, I just wanted to quickly add some thoughts on the matches the boys didn't touch on quickly at the top. Sterling won, Sorrento won a full-time score at Macedonia Park, and it was two players scoring against their former sides. Dean Cummings, an early penalty before Daniel Fake his second-half header told the story of the game. A handy draw perhaps for Sorrento. They pull a point clearer of danger, albeit they still have plenty of work to do, and they have a big game next up, a six-pointer, Back at home at Percydall Reserve against Inglewood United in a fortnight. Been a funny season for Sorrento, actually. Some real highs in there with winning at Red Star, beating Bayswater on the opening night. Feels like an eternity ago, that game. But also that late loss to Glory in Albany, the late win at Balcatta. a real roller coaster of a year, I suppose. Given the start of the season they had with Trevor Morgan leaving late in the preseason, Steve McGarry came in and had to get the team together quickly, set about finding that formula. And in the main, they've been pretty competitive, perhaps other than that round three Red Star loss by six goals to one. Albeit they did have a player sent off very early on. Off the pitch, they've also been away from home for quite a while with Percedor being used by Haysey for their Women's World Cup. So it has been an arduous run on the road that they have had to go on. That said, Inglewood next is massive for them given they face Kingsway the week after. And then blimey, Armadale at home on the final day at Percedor Reserve. Who knows what that could mean when it comes around. Both teams will certainly hope it's a dead rubber by then, but this is the MPLWA in 2023 that we are talking about. Sterling, meanwhile, I won't dwell on them too long as the boys discuss the title race and the picture up there, but I suppose in recent weeks, it's been a little more difficult to get a read on them, just in terms of them losing that little bit of consistency we've been so used to seeing from them. The regular 1-0, the 2-0, keep it tight, give the opposition nothing, but find that moment of quality when it counts was a real hallmark of theirs in the early part of the season and last year too. And it's something they're going to have to discover in time for Saturday's must-win game against Kingsway. But, yeah, I really liked them in the preseason. They were my title pick. I liked what I saw in the night series. And I was very much of the opinion, defence wins your leagues. Sean will disagree, of course. But... I thought that their attack could maybe add a little bit more this year. A few new options came into the squad and that they would be hard to keep pace with as this long and arduous season sort of emerges. But a loss to Coburn and three goals in the last 10 minutes to edge glory and now a draw on the weekend against Sorrento. On the surface, it isn't really what you want at this time of year, although they still have time but they do need a Red Star slip-up now, and I feel it's a big few weeks for their attacking players in particular who are really going to have to step up and make it count if Stelling are to rediscover their groove late in the campaign. Finally, Bayswater 4, Balcata 3, Bayswater 5th, and in striking distance of 4th now. Been a good turnaround since Gary Williams came in for Gareth Navin, just the one defeat in four games, which was to Red Star, so nothing to be ashamed about there at all. Samuel Dway got the winner on the weekend with nine minutes left on Saturday. He's actually had a pretty good year after being one of the shining lights at Gwellup in 2022 following their relegation. He's come across and played most games on the wing, so a good season for him and something for him to build on. In terms of Bayswater, they showed good character in the game. 3-1 up, pegged back to 3-3, and then still managed to find a winner. That's a sign of a good team for me. When you are challenged, when there is that adversity, and you are able to find a solution and a way to win. They are one point behind Perth, and would you believe it, those two meet on the final day of the season, so we could yet have a potential playoff for fourth in round 22 if this mad season continues. I'm also really keen to see their next game at home to Sterling. That, for me, will outline whether they have the potential to challenge the teams at the very top and lift postseason silverware in a couple of months' time. Remember, Bayswater haven't made the top four since the 2018 season. But a shout-out must go to Gordon Smith after his hat-trick at the weekend. I mentioned this on the pod earlier in the season, but when Dumba Mkeche went down with injury against Kingsway and he was subsequently ruled out for the rest of the year, someone had to step up to the plate, and that's what Smith did. Those three goals in seven minutes on Saturday took the Scott to 11 for the season, which I think is his best scoring return since arriving on these shores. But of those 11 goals, nine have been scored in the second half of the season since round 12. So the change of coach, the configuration in midfield, the change of goalkeeper, the tightening up in defence – Anasmo and Kuhl arriving in the transfer window, all important factors, but Gordon has definitely been the constant in terms of the most consistent performer. And I think if he can get his team over the line and into a top four spot, then he'll likely get a nomination in my team of the season when that all comes around. Balcata, meanwhile, strange one, winless in six, down to sixth in the league, still only three points off fourth, but remarkably three above a raft of teams tied with glory in that relegation playoff place. First of all, considering where they came from and where I'm sure many had them in pre-season, Glen Grostate and the team there at Grindleford Reserve have done a fine job. They've doubled their points tally taken for the whole of last season. They found some real steel on the road whilst having some shortcomings at home, of course, to balance that out. But regardless, they've been a lot harder to beat and have taken some good scalps along the way too. They've also unearthed some younger players who could be handy going forward, having learned off that experienced core of Adam Tong, Trent Kay, et Albeit it'll be interesting to see if they go around next year or whether they need replacing. But if Balcada can keep Kataro Yamamoto next season and with some of these younger players improving throughout next year, then that really does give them a little bit of a platform to build on. But whether it's a regression to the mean in the context of this season or whether it's a collapse will be a story which is told at season's end. There's still a little bit of work for Etna to do first. A tough game next up away at Red Star. The league leaders are now probably the title favourites. But given Balcata's road form, can we really be surprised if they go up there and take all three points? Home games with Armadale and Coburn then follow, which in my opinion, they should be able to win. The way it's looking with teams below them playing one another and with Balcata playing two of those sides down there in the mire... One win in the final three games should just about confirm their survival. But lose to Red Star in round 20, some crazy results happen elsewhere, wouldn't be a surprise, and suddenly things may get a little more nervy in the final fortnight than they need to be. As mentioned before, the rest of the matches are covered on this week's full-time whistle, and once this week's big game in hand at the top is played, we'll sit down and assess the landscape of the league and all the permutations going into the final three rounds of the season. And before we dive back into part two, we just want to send a quick thank you out to Balance and Revive Massage Therapy, our latest sponsors here at the Perth Football Podcast. And if you want to get 10% off remedial and sports massages, just go and say hi uh, from the Perth Football Podcast. Use the code PFP23. Uh, that's PFP23. And you get 10% off all remedial and sports massages at Balance and Revive. You can find them in Carambine at One Hobson Gate. So, on to the women's. And we had a big game at the top of the WA women's competition as Perth Red Star faced Perth Soccer Club. First versus second round 17, and it was the defending champions who won 4-2 and now well and truly have the upper hand in terms of making it back-to-back titles. Red Star, six points clear now with the game in hand on their closest rivals. Just four full rounds left. So, fair to say they essentially have one hand on it, particularly with a game on Friday to come against Curtin University. Which you expect they will win. That reminds me, I wonder if Sean's hat eating pledge is still valid for that fixture thinking emoji. In terms of the game itself, it was an entertaining contest. Red Star took an early lead when Beck Bennett's clearance was miscued and picked off by Renee Liotta, the former New Zealand international, has had a good year in 2023, and she lifted over the goalkeeper to make it 1-0 and bring up 10 goals for the year. Then I thought Perth had a good spell in the game. They pressed forward, they gave Red Star a couple of things to think about, and they got an equaliser midway through the first half when Poppy Hooks played a magnificent switch to find Jamie Duncanson on the right wing. Her first touch sent her a little wide initially, but she was good enough to dig out a lovely cross, and Ella Lincoln did the rest from close range. And after that goal went in, it seemed like the game would be perfectly poised at the interval, but then Red Star scored twice in the final, couple of minutes of the first half and made it really difficult for Perth as a result. Sarah Carroll stepped up 25 yards out, centre of goal, and drove a terrific free kick into the top corner a minute before the break, which gave the goalkeeper no chance. And then Jay Coleman looped a header in for 3-1 from Bronwyn Studman's long diagonal free kick. There's something about this Red Star team. Whenever they're challenged, they find that resolve to, to find an answer, whether it's coming from behind, putting the foot down when they need to, taking those big moments when they come around to grab the game by the scruff of its neck. It's a real testament to the winning mentality which is formulated up there in the northern suburbs. A two-goal deficit was always going to be hard for Perth to overturn and keep the title race alive, given the leader's have their game in hand. They did give it a shake, though, and got another back when Lincoln put in Jess Flannery's cross to join Leota on double figures this year. I've really liked Lincoln's season, actually. She's a player who's stepped up with a number of injuries Perth has had to contend with. She's even worn the captain's armband as well in recent weeks, and has certainly shown that she's enjoying that added responsibility. But in truth, with no Van Huyck, Meekins, Phillips, Lamonts, Gibbons, Barrero, who's just gone back to the States, nor Ruby Marshall, who was also injured in this game. It was maybe a bridge too far for the Azuri on Sunday, given the schedule, the absentees, the games on the road due to their front-loaded MPLWA women's fixture. It should be said that I think Pete Rackage can be very proud of what his team have delivered over the past two months. And to even be in a position going into the weekend where they were challenging on all three fronts is a good achievement in itself, even if I'm sure there is some inner frustration that the full potential hasn't been reached with this team. Maybe that will come next year, and who knows, maybe it will be a blessing that this year the likes of Lincoln, Flannery, Matilda Bohm, and several others have had a chance to improve with regular game time and in 2024 provide that additional depth for next season's title tilt. Red Star, meanwhile, what a well-oiled machine. They could really have sealed this earlier had Abby Woolley Away either of her two one on one chances early in the second period, but eventually they did get the job done 10 minutes from time. Woolley was the provider as Rader Kagami volleyed a 16th goal of a terrific season, low past the goalkeeper. A controlled effort, a pinpoint finish, and mark my, my words, the Japanese is right in that gold medal conversation. So the title is just about done. We'll have a chance to praise Red Star further in the coming weeks en route to that second MPLWA Women's Era title in as many years. But worth noting the job Carlos Vegamena and his side have done in the past three years. He's only lost three league games in three seasons since joining the club as head coach. Thanks for that reminder, Neil Bennett. Meanwhile, after Sunday's game at Red Star Arena, I caught up with Sarah Carroll for a quick chat to get her reaction and you'll hear that right about now. Perth Football Podcast, Tommy Dolman here at Red Star Arena just watched the round 17 top of the table clash between Perth Red Star and Perth Soccer Club in the NPLWA Women's Competition. A 4-2 win for Red Star, a really good game of football to watch, from my vantage point anyway, on the commentary position. Uh, I'm joined by one of the goal scorers, Sarah Carroll, after the win. Sarah, well done on the result today. It was the job that you needed to get done in terms of going six points clear with that game in hand at the top of the league. How did you find it out there?
2: Yeah, look, it was a tough game, but that's what we expect with Perth. Um, All of our matchups against them over the last you know two seasons have always been a tough encounter so um look to come out on top um yeah we're very happy and um it was a massive three points so um we needed that today
1: and in terms of dropping those points last friday night against murdoch university melbourne was that just that little bit of a, a wake-up call for you going into the business se- end of the season obviously ahead of this big game at the weekend you really sort of got yourselves up for it and and got that early goal through renee
2: yeah, look, the draw last week wasn't um, ideal, um, but it, it's football. It is what it is. Um, it just gave us a little bit more motivation this week to tidy things up a little bit. Um, and yeah, look, Kiwi's been great for us all year, so you know she got us off to a good start. We probably allowed them back into the game a little bit too much. We we're a little bit disappointed with some of the goals that we conceded, but you know at the end of the day we we kept we kept at it and look we got the three points in the end, and that was the main thing.
1: What is it about this team, Sarah, where you do get challenged, but you always find that resolve within yourselves to be able to find that extra gear and to be able to get those two goals at the end of the first half as you did, to be able to get those two equalising goals last week? What does that say about the spirit of this Red Star team?
2: Look, we're such a close-knit group, both on and off the field, um, and you know we all get along really well, and we've just got that winning mentality. Um, we always stick together. When things aren't going our way, we, we again stick together. I absolutely love playing with these girls week in, week out. Um, And we've got so much experience. We've got so much youth that are, you know, playing their part as well. You know, it's just such a good club to be a part of.
1: Slightly different role for yourself in recent weeks as well. I saw you come into the centre of the park against Balcada probably about a month ago. I've normally seen you either in the centre of defence or a little bit further afield. So tell me about that midfield role and how you're enjoying that, I suppose, playing next to Jay and Rayner.
2: Yeah, look, um, I've always said my versatility is my biggest strength. Playing the number six role is probably one of the positions that I have the least amount of experience in, so it's been the biggest challenge. But I'm in the right environment. Um, I've got the right players around me, the right people around me, um, and I'm continuing to learn each week and develop. Um, you know, I make mistakes, but I try and not make the same one twice. But, yeah, I'm, I'm loving the challenge. Um, hopefully I can continue to, to grow in that role. And, look, I love playing alongside Jane Rayner, the two quality players and, yeah, I couldn't think of a better partnership to, to play alongside.
1: And it must feel nice to contribute on the score sheet as well. Obviously, stepped up, 25 yards out, centre of goal, and you put it in the top corner past Beck. How did that feel?
2: Yeah, look, I'm happy to, to put one away. You know, I've been a little bit disappointed with my um, deliveries um, in set pieces over the last few weeks. Um, and obviously, playing in that sixth position now, I've not been getting on the score sheet as much as, as I would like. Um, So, yeah, for me personally, that's a massive goal um, and a big confidence boost for me. Um, But the main thing was it contributed to to a huge three points today.
1: And four games left. You're chasing back-to-back league and top fours. How do you maintain this motivation now?
2: Yeah, we put ourselves in a good position, um, you know, but we maintain things the way we always do. We go one week at a time. Um, You know, we never get too far ahead of ourselves. Every game's a challenge for us. Every game is a must-win for us. That's the mentality that we have. Um, And obviously we pride ourselves in our performances as well, so that's always important. But, yeah, look, we we go again on Friday night against Curtin. We go again next week against NTC. um, And, you know, wherever we are at the end of the season, I'm sure that's where we're meant to be.
1: Thanks, Sarah. Well played today. Thank you. So despite the defeat, Perth pretty much locked into that top four spot and it'll be interesting to see if they can manage their squad and prepare for some silverware either in the top four cup or the state cup as the season draws to a close. Below them, Fremantle City also look likely to make the postseason a 5-0 win over Curtin at the weekend, further cementing their place. A couple of goals for Laura Waltman, another player in gold medal contention most certainly, while Olivia Truman, Catherine Adams and Alex Pode also hit the score sheet. Not too much more to say on that result, other than the fact it was a 16th loss in 16 for Curtin. It doesn't get any easier with Red Star next up on Friday. So that leaves only the final spot in the top four. Hyundai NTC and Mum FC drew 1-1 in the fourth versus fifth game at E&D Leaders Stadium yesterday. I did watch this one after my comms yesterday, expecting it to be a good contest, which it was, but in terms of the clear-cut chances and the final third, both teams weren't quite at their best, and hence the one-all draw. Louise Tana got the opener. She initially released Tanika Lala into the channel with the recently announced glory striker driving into the area and having her shot saved by Stacey Cavill. Tana was then on hand in the right place at the right time to bundle in the rebound and make it 1-0. It wasn't the prettiest finish, sure, but check out her work rate to really try and join Lala in that attack having played the initial pass. That goal really was the reward for her perseverance and endeavour on that occasion. Mum FC, from the bits I saw, were largely restricted to long-range efforts. They do play nice football, though, and you can see that they are building something there, and there's good work that's been done by David Biancuzo behind the scenes, which is evident by the fact that they have reached a Women's State Cup final in September, even if they do fall short in the race of fourth this year. They did need a bit of fortune here to make it 1-1. Charlie Wainwright's corner hit the unfortunate Nelly Johnson with a known goal credited against the NTC defender. That draw was a good result for Balcata Etna, though, who made a return to winning ways in emphatic fashion, a 6-1 win with, who else, Tia Stonehill getting a hat-trick. It was a potential banana skin for Etna due to the last matchup between these two sides ending 3-3, while Subi had also won back-to-back games, but in the end it was a pretty convincing performance from Balcada and they gained ground on fourth by the end of the weekend. Stonehill set up the first when crossing for Monique Diopera before running in after receiving Elizabeth Douth's pass to Hammerholm a second. Stonehill ran a third from 18 yards, a real crisp strike with a bit of attitude behind it, which really underlined the sense that she was keen to make her mark on the game. Subi did score before the interval. Great solo goal from Mariana Tobain, who tiptoed through a few challenges and then a cool, calm, composed finish, as you'd expect from a player of her quality. Briefly reduced the score back to 3-1, but this was Balcata's day. Kim McCartney, with two fairly similar goals, made it 4-1 and 5-1 when loose balls broke her way on the edge of the box, and she did the rest with low finishes. Stonehill then bustled her way through a couple of challenges and scored a hat trick goal, which took her to 18 for the campaign and two clear of Red Star's Raina Kagami in the NPL women's golden boot race. It means the top four races squeezed up that little bit. NTC, a fourth, played 15, 26 points. Balcata played 16, 23 points. And Mum FC played 17, 22 points. Subiaco, meanwhile, played 16, Only 13 points, so any hopes of them looking to surge late into the top four seem to be dashed. So that will do from me. In terms of the week ahead on Tuesday night, Kingsley Westside faced Wanneroo City. That's the key game in State League Division 2 in terms of the title race. It's a game in hand for the league leaders who can go seven points clear at the top with four rounds remaining should they take victory. Meanwhile, on Wednesday night, NTC and Perth face-off in the second semi-final of the Women's State Cup. Winner of that fixture will play Mum FC in the final at the State Football Centre in early September, which should be a great occasion. Then on Sunday morning, you'll get another full-time whistle to wrap Saturday's action. I imagine most of us will be down at Kingsway and Sterling on Saturday, given it's the standalone fixture in the MPL men's competition. So we'll definitely bring you some reaction from that. But given it's a 5 p.m. kickoff, we might also get a chance to head to some state league action beforehand. I'll have to run that past producer Kalishi, of course, before I promise you anything on that front But if you are listening, let us know if you'd like us to pop to your ground in the final few weeks of the season. Just make sure you've got plenty of chips ready for Kalichi. Cheers to Kalichi and to Sean for letting me infiltrate this feed, Perth Football Podcast on the socials to reach out with any listener questions or to view any of the content which is put up by the team. Thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy the rest of your week and we'll speak with you soon. See ya.